0: Um, Hi, everyone. Do you remember me? Do you remember me? We were friends last year. You used to sit by me in the cafeteria before you got too cool for me. Yeah, I'm back. Got another episode here. I know they're coming out sporadically as I have time, and there's no set rhythm to them. And I don't know why I'm talking this way. Like, it's your fault. But hi. Yeah, I'm here. Anyway, welcome back to the podcast. Got some new episodes coming out. I'm really excited. Lined up some interviews, some people to talk to suckered a few folks in letting them think it was something else but then i'm gonna throw the microphone in their face with that gotcha journalism that you keep coming back to this podcast for that's what i'm all about anyway got some cool stuff coming up uh i don't think we'll do anything too crazy you know the midterms are coming up and so we'll see what (laughs) we'll see what things are like after that um but you know i know i'm the source of news for most of you folks out there and uh you depend on me and i gotta step it up and i i'm aware of that so this episode today is actually pretty cool. It's my neighbor Brian. He lives caddy corner, I believe is the word for it. Like if if you stand up and point your arm to like ten o'clock, he's that's where his house is. We're here in townhomes out in Leesburg, Virginia. And townhomes are cool because it's kinda like apartment life, but there's nobody above you or below you, but you're you're still crammed in. I kinda like it. I told my wife, either give me a yard that has like room for my kids to play and my sheep's to graze or give me no yard and so right now we have no yard but I don't mind it my kids playing the street it's kind of cool it gives them that urban vibe and I don't have to worry about the lawn anyway Brian is catty corner to me and he's become a friend over the last year and just a really bright guy like knows a lot of stuff way smarter than me and he has a pretty cool career where he works on satellites and he's in that whole world but he also has a lot more Uh, going on he's written a book or two and we're gonna end up doing another episode because we got talking too much about satellites on this one and i just think he's a really cool guy to talk to and i think you'll like this episode uh if you are a space nerd or if you follow anything that's been going on with spacex or nasa uh, i think you'll learn a little something i definitely did so get your thinking caps on here we go Well, we're sitting here tonight in—I guess it's my basement—with uh, my neighbor/slash bandmate/slash neighbor, slash bandmate slash neighbor. Uh, <laughs> Brian. What's up, man? How, uh, how, how? So we live in Leesburg, Virginia, where the townhomes are all like identical. We're—what would you call this—the basement or the bottom floor?
1: Well, that's a good point because it's not technically—it's not a basement because it's not underground. Yeah, it's technically the first floor. Yeah, but the entrance is on the second floor.
0: Yeah, you walk down the en- You enter in between the second and third floor, and you have to yeah. make a decision: do it's I go like, up or down? It's
1: one of those things. is like if I have breakfast food for dinner, is it still breakfast? <laughs> right? Exactly. It, it's the same. It's the same vein.
0: That's true. <laughs> But yeah, it's hard to know where we're at. So I I like saying the basement. I actually, anywhere we record, I call it the lab. So we're in yeah. the lab tonight. But Brian and I, uh, actually, we're coming up on our, our friendship anniversary because right. we met each other on Halloween of last year. That's right. Yeah. And uh, the whole crew, every, everybody yeah. in the area sort of. Did you, so you grew up on Long Island, is that yeah. right? Yeah. Was it like Halloween Town up there too, or is no. this a, like a Leesburg thing where everybody gets into it?
1: When I was a kid, yeah, there was a big Halloween presence. Like when I was a kid, everyone in in my high school, I guess elementary school too, would we'd walk all around the town because it's very suburban mm-hmm. in the area we were in. Um, and so you'd go around to all the houses. So there was a, a big Halloween presence, but I feel like Leesburg has more than I've ever seen. Like the, with the parade we do. And the, yeah, I've never seen a Halloween par- I've never heard of anyone yeah, doing a Halloween parade. They do a parade for everything. Like Christmas parade. They got <laughs> the, true. what was that other one? There was another Fourth one. Fourth of that, July. That's right. Yeah. And then it's like.
0: Just Cuz Parade. Yeah, just the Cuz <laughs> Parade. We're going
1: yeah. br- to bring the fire trucks down and throw some candy at people. it would be good. Yeah, great. exactly. But we were hanging out
0: outside, and everybody got to kind of, know each other. And so uh, Brian and I could talk about a lot of things. We'll probably cover a lot tonight. But one of the things I want to start with was what you do for a living. Because sure. if you're in the D.C. area, it's like usually the first thing everyone asks each other. But I try not to ask that normally to be like all right let's not talk about what we do but you have such a cool job I'm like tell me what you do uh give us a little background and then how you ended up in is it's not aerospace technology is it or it's mechanical engineering
1: well so so what i do is it's called gnc engineering in in this specific uh in this specific function that i'm working in it's called guidance navigation and control engineering Mm -hmm. so it's uh sort of robotics. It's difficult to to explain until you really see it uh, in reality, but essentially what I do is, so imagine like a robotic arm, like these mic stands, right? Mm-hmm. There's going to be a motor at each of the joints of the arm. And so it, essentially a GNC engineer has to understand dynamics of the system. So it has to understand uh, flexure modes of the arms. It has to understand the, the, mechan- the, the, the dynamics of the motor. So uh, it has to understand all the different dynamical properties of that system. Right. And then your job is to design a algorithm, a, a computer-driven control algorithm, such that uh, a motor controller can drive those motors in the joints to move the arm around to do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's very broad field of engineering. It's sort of the – it's basically robotics. So when I talk to people and just to – if I'm if I'm not really uh <laughs> feel like explaining what GNC means, I'll just say I'm I, I do robotics <laughs> yeah. sort of. But um it's And they were like
0: like iRobot? Yeah, so like, basically, yeah it's when the you same. say
1: robotics everyone's thinking a robot. Like yeah. that because a roboticist really does work with robotic arms and pieces, which my job doesn't always entail. So my my particular job actually doesn't involve robots, but what I do is I design the autonomous algorithms for a satellite to control itself, right? Mm. So instead of an arm with motors. The satellite has thrusters of all different types uh, and 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 thrust, and uh, it has uh, different types of actuators, so like reaction wheels, mm-hmm. um, and it has different types of sensors. And so, the job of a GNC engineer is to utilizing the sensor data as your feedback, right? So to understand the states of the the dynamics of the system, you. Uh, Design control inputs for your thrusters, for your reaction wheels, uh, and design the control algorithms such that the the satellite can control itself and do anything it wants to do, right? Mm -hmm. So if I want it to slew to a certain attitude... All I need to do is command what attitude I want Real to quick, go to.
0: What's what's slew? Is that like strafing on Goldeneye? Yeah, that's
1: exactly <laughs> what it is. It, no, it's, it's I'll literally translate turning. for all
0: you guys out there. That's <laughs> science minded like me and Brian. to uh, so continue. So and so we'll talk about this a little bit more too. So you satellites go into space yeah. and they basically have a lane or a you know a current that they follow in in a sense of like there's a it's an orbit, uh, yeah. Orbit. You yeah. know, it's and your job is to design these you call them thrusters so yeah so I designed control algorithms. Control. So you're you're designing the code yeah. that's going to allow this um satellite to control right... itself. It's kind of so it's like Tesla in space, a Tesla car, it's like more or less. Yeah, figuring yeah. out. And now is it doing it autonomously or are you guys controlling it from the, from moon unit station what do you guys call uh, <laughs> right? uh, mission operation mission center. operation center yeah, is it called, really called that
1: the mock yeah
0: oh that's so cool it's pretty god cool. my, i hate my life now i'm just every i'm like i sell to dental health plans. it's never
1: too late john you, yeah. you just got to do school for like seven years and no <laughs> it's
0: too late for me it was too late when i was in sixth grade i'm like i can't do math um uh-huh. so yeah so you're designing the thrusters to, to basically stay in that orbit and so it's is and in mission control are you doing that it's a little bit of both. How does that work? It's
1: a little bit of both. So uh, mostly, so the the satellite is autonomous to the to the extent that uh, we can command it to do like so. When you tell a person to do something, the person knows. Like if I said pick pick something up, I don't have to tell you uh, move your elbow out this many degrees, move your hand down this many degrees. Close your hand around the thing and pick it up, right? But your brain—you're about to
0: have your first kid, and you're going to
1: realize you do have to explain. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I'd probably be good. Yeah. At it.
0: <laughs> Just talk to your kid like it's a robot, exactly. Yeah, like so, it's a computer.
1: But well, that's yeah. So, when's your first kid due? By the way, February. February. February yeah, twenty-second. Uh, the baby boy's coming, right? That's right. Yeah, we're excited for you guys. Sorry, sorry, derail. No, no, no worries. But yeah, so when when you uh, when you talk to a person, uh, that's the that's the goal is to make it so that. Uh, an engineer that isn't a gnc engineer can command this spacecraft without mm-hmm. having to understand the control algorithms. gotcha so okay. it's, you want to be able to have a human uh understandable and, and human intelligible uh system where i can just say slew to this attitude so turn to this attitude or um, you know fire the thruster for this amount of time or which actually the, that part technically isn't us but yeah, essentially, we want the the <laughs> spacecraft to you, you be can able take to take credit for that. Nobody's gonna <laughs> know. Yeah. Or yeah. like even a rendezvous, right? So yeah, if gotcha. I like, it can get as intense as saying, "I want you to move to this orbit, and then rendezvous with this other satellite," right? So uh, try and uh, create an orbit that's going to put you in a circle around this this other satellite, mm-hmm. or something like that. And essentially, the in the mission operations center, we'd be able to send a command that it will do that autonomously. And that's the goal, so that gotcha. you don't have to tell it every single piece of, of what it needs so to do. So somebody's
0: not standing in mission control, like with a joystick, moving this thing. No, to re- no. But you're telling it, you're sending it signals, okay, we've we've assessed the altitude, or I don't know the terms, of the docking station, and so we have to adjust. And so you send it like a message, and it does it itself. Is that kind of how it works?
1: Yeah, basically, yeah. So okay. it's, it's more, it's generalized commands to do, uh, you know, it can be specific things, but... Mm-hmm. Um, like like a momentum adjust for an ex- for an example, uh, the spacecraft builds momentum as as it's moving around, right? So uh, now, now we're getting into the weeds a little bit into inertial frames and 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 actual the actual math. A lot of people GNC. listen to this podcast to fall asleep. So continue. <laughs> yeah, right. here's here's your lecture on yeah. on uh, inertial well, frames and guidance systems.
0: So when when a satellite is it something that's constantly monitored? Because I think I represent the layperson and most of us just think the satellites are up there flying around and they're shooting signals back to our cell phones that's and more or you less know right. yeah. that's how we get cable and that but is there someone manning that or is there at some point where it you know a satellite <laughs> achieves you know passes puberty or whatever it's on yeah. its own you know, like, so, or, sort
1: of uh, okay. so right now uh the two satellites that just launched on, on the eighth that 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 i was the the gnc engineer for and that's through spacex uh yeah so yeah. spacex launched them yeah um and uh so they're just sitting up there um we don't have to do anything so they they autonomously uh track uh the the attitude right so track the attitude they're supposed to be at so essentially the the spacecraft is flying around in this orbit and it's 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 really gracefully falling right that's the fun part to understand is that when you're in orbit you're it's it's basically like when you spin a a cup of water around Mm -hmm. on a string and the, the water gets pushed to the back right that's centripetal force um that is more that's basically what the spacecraft's doing it's actually gracefully falling right because mm-hmm. gravity is keeping it in but it's it's momentum or in 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 a velocity direction right Is trying to push it away from the earth
0: so eventually would it fling out into the, the universe or will no. it come back
1: into no okay. so because uh, uh because of conservation of momentum what's happening is uh, the force of gravity is constantly acting on the spacecraft but because uh its its velocity is tangential to the earth it's essentially that velocity is is maintaining a uh, a momentum energy that offsets the uh, the force of gravity mm. that's pulling it towards it so it actually keeps it in that orbit and will just keep it around the earth now uh, for a lot of orbits um, for most satellites, maybe not most, I don't know that, but uh, for uh, some orbits, depending on where you are, you will have uh, friction losses from some amount of atmosphere that's there. It's low, but you will have amount of friction that takes energy out of the system, and then you'll start seeing the satellites start coming back to Earth. Hmm. So every now and then, you need to do some orbit adjustments where you actually will fire a thruster to get it back into orbit, or it okay. might move left and right to a different orbit so you can have... Uh, different sort of orbit adjustment maneuvers, Gotcha. And they can happen every couple of weeks, couple of months. It it really depends on on what you're doing.
0: And so it's similar to, to folks if you've seen Wally when he <laughs> squeezes the uh, fire hydrant. Which, by the way, would that work in space or would it do? Yeah,
1: absolutely, it would. Yeah. Really, that, no, that's exactly how it It's conservation of momentum, right? So if I if I'm firing, uh, it, that's how thrusters work. They're they're firing particles out one way mm-hmm. and it's causing, uh, it's basically causes an, an impulse, right? So it, it causes uh, a force uh, in the other way. E- every reaction has an equal and opposite uh, reaction, right? right? Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So if I'm firing uh, a uh, a fire hydrant or uh, a fire extinguisher in yeah. space, uh, there's going to be a force the other way against me hmm. because I'm, I'm now creating momentum of those I don't know, fire extinguisher particles. I don't know what's in there. <laughs> Pushing one way and so it'll push me the other way. So if I'm if I'm enormous, right? If it's yeah. a, a spaceship that's that's firing that thing, it's not gonna be much, right? Because the momentum of those particles is not gonna do a lot to uh, a large thing. You. But if I'm a tiny little wally then the momentum from those particles is going to account because so momentum is mass times velocity so the smaller the mass the higher the velocity change okay. will be
0: so when it when a satellite shoots into space is it automatically in orbit or does it have to be thrusted into that or would it just float there i mean how does that work
1: yeah so when when you first uh launch uh you the typically the launch vehicle will release the payload, the satellite, into an orbit. We call it the transfer. And by orbit.
0: the way, you can watch this on SpaceX.com. Yeah, like, SpaceX I,
1: shows most of them.
0: I was watching it the other day. Texting Brian, I was like, "You do this? <laughs> I didn't. First of all I didn't know. I didn't realize that a whole launch takes about ten minutes. Like they fire a rocket into space." what what is that term you just said it launches the particle or release yeah releases the releases the payload the payload and then the rocket comes back to earth and lands itself all within like 10 sec or 10 minutes that's it's brand amazing. new the, the, yeah
1: so the the rocket landing itself is especially from a the controls engineer perspective an unbelievable feat like that's an incredibly cool controls problem yeah and 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 at, like an incredible bit of technology. How much money does that save per rocket? I can imagine it saves a lot like, because it's, it's
0: got to be in the billions. I mean, by the time you reuse it enough, the right?
1: the rocket that launched the G thirty three and thirty four satellites that the, from Intelsat Sat that um, that that I'm working on, I think I think that launch on the eighth was the. 15th or something is some some teens mm-hmm. number that that rocket had done so they had reused that rocket 15 wow, times that's already incredible now. something and this, like that and
0: rockets used to go to space once once and they would drift off and then the shuttle would come back uh, yeah, yeah yeah
1: so when the yeah the rocket would go up and it crashed back down and then it's scrapped they'd and the shuttle and, was a big deal for yeah. it to, like you
0: know okay so uh we were talking about what happens when a you know, in the or how does the satellite land in orbit, or how does it get moving?
1: Yeah, so once once you uh, once it gets released, right? So once it gets tipped off from the launch vehicle, it's in a transfer orbit, and so we ha- so on board um, there will be some autonomous uh, recognition that oh okay it 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 noticed the the autonomous um, algorithms on board will say we've just noticed that we were released, mm. and so the satellite will start doing its thing to to set itself up. And then once it's set up, we, we get communication with it. Now we can start commanding it. And so the next part of the process is to, to move the satellite into whatever orbit it wants to live in. Mm -hmm. Right. So whatever the mission happens to be for these, uh, they're geostationary satellites. So that means, so there is a way to, there are certain, there's a geo belt, right? It's about uh, 42,000 kilometers above, above the earth altitude. And so you can, uh, essentially, if you move, uh, if you pick an orbit up there, you can synchronize. Called geosynchronous orbit because you can synchronize the orbit of the spacecraft with the spin of the Earth.
0: Oh, that's so that cool. You can
1: actually have the satellite just sit above one point on the really? Earth at all times. Yeah.
0: Wow. I always just assume it's flying around the you know circle and around the. A
1: Earth lot of and them and are like the Starlinks. They, they're yeah. they're uh, low Earth orbit, Leo. Wow. Uh, so I think. That's amazing, and so it's
0: mind blowing. We have like all this technology, yet we can't figure out like how to set up the internet by ourselves. <laughs> like it requires AT and T to come over. Uh, so you, let's talk a little bit because we were talking about this the other day about GPS. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just learned that this is like a total government-run system. That what what's the origin? Because you were telling me it's like Apple and Google Maps, all that stuff has to offer it for free. What? How did we get land with GPS? Like, how does that work? Even.
1: Yeah, I think so. The, I'm pretty sure the GPS data, um, comes from satellites that are just uh, available. I don't know if they're, they're government satellites or something, but that mm-hmm. data, um, is essentially public domain. So I don't. It's not owned by Google or Apple or mm-hmm. anything. So they. I don't think they. I mean. We live in a capitalist dystopia, so I'm sure people can figure out how to sell stuff that <laughs> yeah, they don't know. Right. But yeah, but yeah, it's all public domain, so you can actually um, access their Google Maps. Actually, makes a great API, so you can just hack, like, not hack into, but utilize yeah. their their Google Maps API to to create an app and actually use Google really? Maps.
0: And so GPS. Uh, that's why, like, you know, you'll be driving in the mountains, you don't have cell service, but your maps still work. Is that yeah. because it's leveraging that that GPS
1: technology. Yeah, so your the a phone will have GPS when it can get access to a, a satellite. the The way a uh, cell service works is it pings off of a tower, and then the tower reaches out to a satellite. Mm. So the cell service you need to be within range of a tower, but for GPS you just need to be within range of the satellite. And so wow. Um, so how did you get it? Like, are you a rocket scientist? <laughs> Technically, no, because because. <laughs> uh,
0: Does but, your mother say my son's a rocket yes. scientist? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> all the time. <laughs> my, my, my parents will make the joke and be like, oh, it's not rocket science. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and your wife is a rocket scientist, too. She is so a quote-unquote
1: been... rocket scientist yeah. as well.
0: well. Where do you guys work again? Northrop Grumman. Northrop Grumman. And you met at USC, right? Yeah, in California. How did So you went to Virginia Tech originally. Yep. What's How did you end up in a, you know, this is the type of thing that people, I think, dream about doing. is like, I want to work on rockets or, yeah. you know... You actually did it, but you didn't start out with that. So no. you, you kind of have a crazy story in you, you, your New York days, Wolf of Wall Street days. It's unique for sure. Walk us through that. Walk us through like college, then that, and then how you ended up at USC.
1: Yeah. So, uh, like you said, I went to I went to uh, Virginia Tech for my bachelor's and I studied physics and math. You know, an obvious next step could be engineering there, but uh, instead, I got I got swindled into moving into the finance world by a bunch of my rich uncles who. Mm-hmm. We're telling me, oh, the you know finance guys love uh, the the industry loves physics and math guys because it's <laughs> yeah. it's you know people who have who've studied physics and math are they're analytical they have the ability to to think critically and and that's a, a useful skill in our in our industry and uh, and so I started reading about quantitative analysis and and developing trading algorithms and how that's done and I you, got really you interested moneyballed in it. the oh yeah. <laughs> yeah No, no it's it's exactly that's where I wanted to get into so you
0: went into Virginia Tech with. The ambition of what? doing satellite stuff originally or just like, I
1: don't know. I like had, I was so. too young for ambition. Gotcha. Yeah. Too young for ambition. I, <laughs> I knew I liked math. I knew I liked science. Yeah. And I knew I was good at it. I, math always came easy to me. So I, I was like, I, uh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to study math. I actually originally started at Virginia Tech in aerospace engineering. Okay. And for some reason, I I don't know whether it was the alcohol or whatever, just being young and stupid. Yeah. I, I decided that I didn't really like engineering. I just liked math and physics. <laughs> and so I was yeah. like... It, it, it'll probably be easier too. And so I ended up starting physics classes. And then immediately my first class, I think was like an intermediate electricity and magnetism class. And I was like, okay, nope, not easy, not easier. (laughs) (laughs) And then the rest of it was like, eventually you get to like quantum mechanics and and special relativity and E and M and electricity and magnetism. And it's, it's pretty wild, but it was, it was really interesting. So it was a ton of math, but, um, seems like you actually use that in your career. Yeah. Whereas like, our other neighbor,
0: Mike, and I were talking. I'm like, I took a class in advertising. on fonts, like, yeah. and I barely passed it. it. Was like, is it Times New Roman? If this tittle of this thing is, i like, it's ridiculous. But you're actually learning actual applied physics and math and all the stuff that yeah. pays off. Dynamics <laughs> there you go, kids. And, like, and yeah, think yeah. like, through your majors. So you're uh, you're a math whiz,
1: and then your uncles are like, Hey, come come use that. Come thing. work in finance. It. Yeah, and they were they were. Uh, hyping up the money. They were like, Oh, you make ton of money and it's great. And live in New York. And, mm-hmm. and as a kid, I was like, that sounds great. And then I went into the industry and I was like, you know, cause my uncles are great. They're great people. They have happy families. They have great lives. They enjoy the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they've made it really far in the industry and they're all titans in the finance world. And so I, you know, I was looking at it from that perspective. And when I started working there, you just meet so many people that would sell you for a dollar and mm. they're miserable and they hate their families. And it's not that necessarily that has to be the the outcome, right? Because I looked at my uncles right. and they did it. They had, they did great with it. But you have to be a certain type of person, mm. right? And I, I have that type A personality. I, I was doing well in the industry. Uh, I My job was pretty interesting. I worked on the first ever electronic trading platform for credit default swaps. I know it's... Uh, I was interested in the first part of that sentence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some of those words. Yeah. So, uh, first ever. That sounded cool. Yeah. And credit default swaps. Okay. I, credit default swaps were the thing that people associated the 2008 cr- uh, market crash with. Like, oh, that's so you were responsible for the about. recession. Oh, oh sounds sounds cool. I started yeah. working on it in 2011.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a great time to start that. Yeah, right. I uh, came in
1: after the blame. So, uh, so you, you, how long were you in that world? Four years. Four years. A little, yeah. I think a little more than four years. Um, And I just, I hated it. And what was your, what was your daily, like you used to tell me like you're like out eating like $1,000 $1, steaks and just, yeah, so you're just
0: always whining and dining somebody. When like, I
1: first started, it was more of a technical role and I was using some of my technical background. I was, I was actually writing uh, VBA and building people's spreadsheets. Uh, so I was building some spreadsheets for for some people, and then eventually I met uh, my eventual boss, uh, who we were developing this platform. It was really cool. It was technical work that I, I got to work with the IT company that was building it. I got to think about trade workflows and and the that's cool the the, the um uh, the order the order flows and all that, and I got to understand a little bit about clearing and all this sort of technical stuff about about the industry. I was learning a ton. Um, and you know, we're, we're building this, this novel platform. And and so it was all really cool, interesting stuff. And then eventually we just outsourced it all the the IT company was doing everything. Um, I wasn't really doing any more troubleshooting or any stuff that I found interesting, you know, as a, as a math person, that's sort of the troubleshooting and the technical stuff is what I, is what definitely drives me. And, and I just became, uh, what's called a sales trader, they called it. Um, and essentially what that is, is I was, the platform is not technically allowed to take a position the the way we were, had built it. So what I would do is I was a sales guy in that I would communicate with customers But I was a trader in that I was allowed to facilitate trades for them on the platform, so I had to get my series licenses. Um, So you started out in the nursery, coding, like building, and then you got called up to like be in the game. Yeah. And then what did that look like once you like you know? Once I saw that, that's when I was like, this is not the industry for me. I started thinking about going, trying to move more into quantitative analysis, maybe Mm -hmm. just going directly back to school for like a PhD, which is actually what uh, spurned my thought of going back to school, which I eventually did. Um, uh, I, the original goal was maybe just do a PhD in like computer science or mathematics and and come back for quantitative or, or finance even, right? Mm-hmm. And come back and, and be a quant. Um, but as the sales trader, I wasn't doing anything technical anymore i'd show up at work at 6 a.m i talked to these millionaire hedge fund managers over you know bloomberg chat i didn't know what to talk to them about i didn't (laughs) know what i was talking about yeah and i would just like to have these conversations which seemed meaningless to me and just trying to be personable and have them come to our platform and do trades Mm -hmm. and i just didn't know what i was doing and Mm -hmm. i just felt like all my my job was literally just I was a I was a glorified frat boy. Mm. That was it. Like that and was my job.
0: Is that how a lot of business is done though? People
1: do business who, with who they party with. Yeah, and honestly, and it's great. Like there are some people that the the people that were in that in- industry, like the sales guys on the desk, they were great at it. Like there yeah. were some people that there was this one guy that I sat across from. His name was Donnie. He was hilarious. He was just a nut. And first of all, probably rich. He has more money. Made probably more made more money in a year than I will see in my life. <laughs> and every morning, the guy got in seven a.m. on the dot and called up some customer. I don't know who it was, but it was it could have been the same guy, it could have been a different guy. But every morning, the first conversation he had was. Hey, Dave, uh, I haven't had my PB&J yet. What are we doing? I need my PB&J. Let's get something done so I can go eat. Oh. And the next day, hey, Bill, I haven't had my PB&J yet. I, let's get some. What are we doing? Like, I got to use that. What's well, the Yeah, <laughs>
0: when I'm doing my sales, like, <laughs> <I'm> like <laughs> calling some CFO for, like, a health plan. Like, hey, I need a PB&J. Yeah. Like, One who day are you?
1: I, I actually asked him. I was like, Donnie, like, why don't you just get the PB&J before you come to work? Just, <laughs> just eat something, and then you can come to work. Yeah. <laughs> That's his gimmick. Yeah. So – uh so when you
0: know you had told me at one point you're like, if I had worked there another year, I would have been dead.
1: Like, I, yeah, it was, why? Why was that? What? It was just miserable. I I was not the type of person for it, and it was just, it was incredibly aggressive. It was incredibly cutthroat and like high energy. People are just so driven by just greed, mm-hmm. and it's the whole industry is so strange to me in that the idea is everywhere that where money is changed hands how can we get a piece of that transaction mm-hmm. that's the wow. goal in every single piece of the finance industry that i that i observed the goal is just as money changes hands let's get a piece of that transaction or you know where is the where is there going to be more value right the it's gambling in terms of what industry is going to make you know stock picking and stuff yeah. like that and then anything that's not gambling is just trying to make money off of the gamblers and take your little yeah. Piece of their transaction as as it's moving, changing hands. There's an
0: element of like analytics and also Squid Game, <laughs> like going on. I think with like yeah r- betting on people to lose. I mean, did you follow the uh, the GameStop stuff at all?
1: Yeah, I did.
0: I mean, I was that some of your world, like knowledgeable? I just watched a documentary on it. So, so I I, like I when I was in finance, now, but...
1: I was doing credit, but I, okay. I did learn a lot about stocks while I was there, enough to, to be able to manage my own portfolio and stuff. So Did that surprise you what ha- with what happened? Like It, it did. They
0: shorted, they screwed everybody over? So
1: it did and it didn't. It surprised me only to the extent that I, I – it, it would have surprised me more if I hadn't seen what happened to Tesla before, which doesn't get talked about a lot. I don't know this – So Tesla is – I think it still does trade. At an incredibly high PE ratio. PE is price to earnings ratio. Okay. So the price to earnings ratio is like a very baseline fundamental metric that will give you an idea of the value of a stock. It tells you how much of a company's earnings you're entitled to, or rather, how much you have to pay to get entitled to a dollar of a company's earnings. Right. So if a if a price to earnings ratio is like thirty that means is for every $30 you pay in stock price you're entitled to a dollar of earnings okay right so it's it yeah it's it's essentially a measure of how much uh you're going to get out versus how much you're going to put in so if i'm paying uh, a 30 pe ratio that's pretty typical in this market right it's pretty typical to see something around that number uh, especially for a stock that maybe has a little more growth potential, or is a, is very well established, like Google, typically will trade mm-hmm. around uh, twenty to thirty. Right now, it's trading at like twenty something. It's really good buy, but it's uh, you know that is something you look at to to determine like the health of a stock or the value of a stock. And so if it starts right. getting up into like the hundreds, like at one point Amazon was trading at a couple hundred, which is not necessarily bad right? It just means that the stock is more popular, right? Mm-hmm. There's more volume trading it. So you're going to have to pay a little more to get the, to get that stock because a it, lot of people want it. And
0: it doesn't mean necessarily that the company is like, I like to think of it like selling hamburgers. It's like, it doesn't mean that they're selling more hamburgers than ever before. It just means people like the idea of this company. They, it's all about assumptions and impressions it's, right yeah it's, it's not about tangible, actual, the stock
1: itself yeah it has nothing to do with the company's underlying uh value in turn it has nothing to do with the company's underlying earnings mm-hmm. right in terms of how much it's going to earn right it, it doesn't tell you anything about that all it tells you is how much uh what how much demand there is on the company's stock itself mm. right how much how many people are buying this stock and how how uh desired the stock is and and there's like FOMO
0: stuff going on, right? You know, people don't want to miss out on this. And so that drives the rage. So what happened people, with yeah. Tesla is exactly
1: what you're yeah. saying is there was some kind of FOMO, some kind of crazy uh, FOMO event where um, all of a sudden Tesla just started trading up and up. And at one point it's trading at like a 900 PE ratio. And wow. I, I actually shorted it and it, it did crash a little bit. And I, I, I cleared my shorts. I made a little bit of money. And then the next thing I know, it's trading at 1,000 PE, then 1,500. And I think at one point it spiked at like 2,500 PE moly. ratio. What year was this? Uh, uh It was recently. It's a couple of years ago. I think so, like 2019. Real
0: quick, pause. So, a short, and tell me if I got this yeah. right. I, I just, again, I just watched a documentary. I'm that jerk that like just read a book and think I know. It. Anyway, <laughs> uh, a short is basically. We're all where, guilty of it. Uh, let's say there's a company that's got a stock. So, Tesla has a stock. And, or is it maybe it, Maybe you should just explain this, but so <laughs> no, I want to finish. Hold on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you, as a trader, would take that stock and say, "I'm just going to borrow it." You sell right. it. Uh, you sell somehow. You sell it. Uh, you borrow it from someone else. You borrow it from someone else. You sell it, uh, knowing, assuming that it's going to be sold for less, and then somebody else right bought for less. Bought for less, and then you buy it back when it re- goes up later, right, or something uh, like that. You buy, no, it you buy it when, it's, when it's, lower. it's lower. Yeah. So basically, you borrowed somebody's. share sold it and then you recoup the earnings of what you sold you know and then bought
1: the shares back to cover
0: and they bought the shares back to cover yeah
1: yeah so so you sell the shares without actually owning them which means you're borrowing them from somebody well you or i would be borrowing them from somebody Uh, uh when hedge funds and sometimes big banks do it they do it illegally and they don't actually source the shares mm. and they they float and and so they'll, they'll actually short the shares without having sourced a place to and borrow them
0: and you're betting on the shares dropping in value yes, right that's
1: and the that's the idea is yeah. i'm betting that the stock has been overvalued and it'll crash um so with tesla is that up to upwards a thousand dollars p P E? yeah it was like it, it spiked around 2500 it's it's come down since then but uh, yeah, it was just this crazy period of people just, uh, be, uh, people just obsessed with Elon and mm-hmm. hanging on every word and just love Elon, right? Yeah. Whatever it is, Elon, we're gonna buy it. Mm-hmm. And so there's just all this retail money just flooding into Tesla. And to to be fair, they make great cars, right? But mm-hmm. y- you look at the earnings at the time when it was the PE was trading like that, they weren't making money. Right. Their entire business model is based on tax subsidies. Like they, <laughs> the entire business model is it, it is essentially taxpayer funded.
0: Isn't it true that Amazon's not profitable either?
1: For uh, for a long no, time they weren't. Some business for a very long time they weren't. It, it wasn't until I think around the 2010s, maybe a little later, okay, that they that became profitable. I think some business functions of amazon still aren't profitable but they you know there's always business synergy so some business functions will probably help others that are very profitable um, I think the Amazon Web Services is one of their most profitable uh, Gotta business be. sectors yeah, for sure. It's um, everywhere. But the but then there's also the the Walmart model, right? The mm. online Walmart model, which I think at this point is profitable as well.
0: So uh, so what happened with GameStop didn't surprise you because of Tesla. So what happened with well, GameStop
1: didn't surprise me as much because I had seen some wild retail stuff going on. This is the new paradigm that we've seen: is that retail investors are. Way more involved and moving way more money around in the market than they have ever before. And
0: pause right there. So, a retail investor would be people like you and I. People
1: like you and me, not yeah.
0: like the people that do this for a living. But we and so called institutional investors. Yeah. Okay. So casual investors like me and probably some listeners like you have a 401k yeah and you might have you might not even use a financial planner like Brittany and i have one Where like you deal with it like this is kind of how we want to invest yeah i'll you take it from there that's that's most people but what you're seeing now is with um robin hood and these other things people yep. people like to noodle a little bit more they like to follow it yeah. you have Reddit. you have all these plays you know see it csmb or msnbc has always been around but like People are focusing on it a lot more. Is that so? Is that the idea so, of retail? The,
1: yeah. So that's the idea: is the retail trader, um, which the street very lovingly calls "stupid money." <laughs> they uh, accurately, yeah. He, uh, unfortunately, and and the so the sad thing is, you saw GameStop, you saw like AMC. There was Best Buy. There's a couple others I think that did this, and it's these retail traders basically gathering support. Right? They have their Reddit communities and, and these other communities, which. Uh, the street always wants to think of as illegal, right? They hate when retail investors uh, will agree on something, but it's not illegal. It's not market manipulation. I am allowed to go and like like CNBC would be illegal then, right? Entirely right, exactly. Like I'm allowed to go onto a public forum and say I have a position in this. I think this, that, and the other thing, and you can agree with me or not, right? Mm-hmm. If I get enough people to agree with me, the market will move. But it's not illegal for me to go onto a public forum and say what I have, right. And what I think, right? That's just invest investing advice, right? Right. It's it's uh. But yeah, so there was it was a lot of controversy around that. Everyone was like, oh, he's he's doing it wrong. He's doing it wrong. But what was crazy was the GameStop fiasco uh, highlighted and and sort of uncovered a lot of sketchy sketchy stuff yeah. that is going on yeah. in in on the street that has been and will always go on. Yeah. And in this particular example, it was that uh, illegal shorts. So yeah. is these companies manip- actually manipulating the price by selling more shares than exist to the company? Mm-hmm. And they're so they're they're taking on these massive short positions just to crush the price of the stock yeah and so even when at some points when uh people were when the retail investors came in and started buying up the stock the the street kept shorting it and they just kept shorting it and kept shorting it and until eventually what happens is uh you can only short so much of the stock so the the ones you've done correctly you've borrowed from somebody right Mm -hmm. so eventually if the buy pressure continues your shorts like the people who are shorting the, the people you borrowed from are going to say, we need you to close these positions that we have way too much buy pressure that, mm. you know, there's way too much going on in this market. You get what's called margin called if you're a retail investor and you, you basically get your position cleared out for you. And so if you're, if like, let's say you shorted at $20 or in this, in, in uh, GameStop's case, it was like in the tens of dollars, I think it started at like four. And let's say you were, you know, short, when your general price was like $10 and now it's trading at like $30 and you just got cleared out depending on how many shares, you know, you just lost $20 a share. Yeah. And so, uh, so what happened was, uh, what was the, what was the hedge fund? It was like more. No, it wasn't more. Some of the name, some hedge fund that was, uh, the big player here and through Citadel, I think it was, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Citadel was the other guy and they were doing their shady shortened stuff and the retail investors essentially created so much buy pressure that what happens is a short squeeze, it's called. So all of these short positions got cleared. And what happens when you clear a short is, you buy the shares. Hmm. So you have to go in to unwind the position and buy the shares, and so now, not only was there buy pressure from the retail investors, now there's all the short squeeze buy pressure. But this is where the issue came in, is that after that happens, you can generally, once the shorts are cleared, now the now the price is unbelievably high, and now everyone's in a mad panic to sell. Mm. So immediately it goes from like in the course of a couple of minutes to hours, maybe it goes from crazy buying to. Everybody switching gears to selling hmm. and so it, the really sad part is a lot of retail investors get hurt by that yeah because uh, and other people right because you see this going on and you don't really understand what's happening and so oh it was trading at four dollars and now it's 250 i'm gonna buy it it's gonna go to a thousand right right and so you buy it at 250 and now you get massacred well with, it's uh, taking a knife to a machine gun fight you exactly, know? Like, exactly. And i i'm
0: under the impression that the And I've never... I mean, we have midterms coming up and all the elections. It's like, I feel like we're all under the illusion that we have power. (laughs) And like, all we have is the power that these... Big leagues let us think we have, you know, and it seeing stuff like that, you're just like, man, all of our savings, all our like 401ks, or in the stock market, that's like we were talking about. It's just it's perception. All, it's it's all, all in banks, like, and yeah, it's, it's all it, the banks, banks yeah. have
1: all of the money, and yeah. they they essentially, yeah, they monetary policy is a joke. Yeah, it's a joke. It fee. I think that this this is why I'm a big proponent of cryptocurrencies. I don't think, especially in this day and age, when people are starting to be held accountable for actions, when uh, you know, corporate greed is, is finally being villainized as it should be. Yeah. You know, being a billionaire is no longer something that people are like, oh, you did amazing things. Like, no, you have accumulated wealth. Right. You, they used to like praise you, like, look how good. It, and then now yeah. it's the perception is like, you're doing something wrong. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're doing something, something wrong. Shady, it's it's, yeah. it, it's true. It, it's You can't be a, b- a billionaire. You can't get to that sta- stage without completely, completely taking advantage of a system that is broken, hmm. without exploiting labor. Like, Amazon, like Walmart, uh, you you just can't. You can't get to that. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, it, it, to a degree, you're right. It's uh, every inch of power we feel we have in the, in a so-called democratic process in this country mm-hmm. is fully illusory.
0: Well, I, I feel like that's where so much of the anger comes
1: from. And yeah. like, you know,
0: you follow any politician, anything like everybody's angry everywhere. Yeah. And I've talked about this with my therapist a lot. You know, he, you know he'll, he'll often say, he's like, well, why do we get angry? it's because we feel like we're losing control. And when you feel like you're losing control of a situation, you know, it makes you, but like that. And the other thing we land on is like, well, the illusion is none of us have control over anything. He's like, exactly. You know, but you see a lot of these people like storming the Capitol or whatever, like they're angry because they feel like they're losing control. But the, I think that the, the end point of it all is like, nobody has control over this stuff. And that's where the anger comes from. Which is where
1: cryptocurrency comes into. (laughs) And yeah. I'm, I'm serious, like I, I when I, I actually have a brother-in-law who works in the industry and he, you know, spent some time in conversations with him. He convinced me over the while and after researching it, just from a philosophical standpoint, the, and I'm not talking about a specific currency, cryptocurrency, yeah. I don't know which one's going to do it, right? Bitcoin obviously is the big one. Ethereum's a big one, you know, but I'm not talking about a specific currency. I'm talking about the idea of a cryptographic network, right? A, a blockchain, the, the a, uh, cryptographic list or history of events right uh what's the orwell quote is the he who controls the past controls the present he can who controls the or sorry he who controls the past controls the future he who controls the uh present controls the past it's the winner Mm -hmm. writes history right history is written by the winners america writes their history books. also uh
0: the winner takes all the winner takes that's another good one by um abba yeah. So also ABBA, pretty cool. Orwell, same kind of same same there. world. <laughs> <laughs> the wind at Texas. Yeah. I uh, we'll have to do a separate episode on crypto. Oh yeah, this is a like, rabbit hole. Yeah. I and you'll have to explain it slowly. But I want to get back real quick to so you're, you're running on Wolf of Wall Street, all this kind of sure, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you're you're in this world, seeing like you've seen the curtain pulled back yep. and the Wizard of Oz, all Wasn't this kind of stuff. Me. What what
1: made you finally just be like, I got to go? So this was the biggest, this was uh, sort of the scariest part of my life. This is something that I feel like a lot of people say they're going to do or want to do, and they just don't. And I know why, because it's scary as hell. And it was, I had now spent four years. I'm getting a little bit older. I had, you know, I did have a degree in something that was, wasn't related. So I was like, I had a, step, a stepping stone where I could move back, but I did a full 180. I, I told myself, I was like, i'm not that old and it's never too late to make a change mm-hmm. i can go back to school right i the last four years maybe not a total waste i can put it on a resume it's an interesting sort of right. point to talk about you know we, i did some analytical work it was cool to learn about these things i'm sure it'll be an interesting point point. and so i said this industry isn't for me though i need to make a change and i decided to just tear it all down and start over i applied to usc in like march so i was like way past the deadline mm. and i wrote this letter to them that was basically or you know in in my cover letter basically for the application was I, I think I probably mentioned that I can pay for my degree like 16 times in the letter. It was like, <laughs> I saved up all this money in finance yeah. and I've decided that it wasn't really the industry for me. I want to go back so I can pay for my degree. And uh, so I'm going to go uh, pay for a degree. I don't need any financial aid. And have <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I mentioned I can pay for my degree? I've stayed so with a 50 to this. Please let me in. And so I, I I did the calculations. I was like, I had I saved up just enough to pay for a USC degree. I don't know why I picked USC. I, just, I was
0: going to ask you, like what about it?
1: I had no idea. Was it that it's like... Like this is as far away as I can get from New yeah. York. Maybe. It was yeah. it was as far away as I, I could go. I've always wanted to live in California. Never lived there before. Never going back. I hate LA, <laughs> but it was uh yeah it was just me needing a change. Yeah, and I picked a school. I didn't even think I was going to get in. Honestly, it was so late in the year, but I got a letter from them in, in July, and the semester started in in August. And they were like, you got in. And was wow. Like, Oh, crap. And then, were they yeah.
0: like, and about you paying for this? Yeah. <laughs> that's
1: great. So, yep, I, I went, I, I did the calculations, and I had saved up just enough. And by the time I paid my last tuition check, which unfortunately was uh, 10 Bitcoins I sold to pay for them. Oh, wow. Yep. Uh, by the time I had paid that last tuition check, I had like $10 left in my bank account. I <laughs> wow. was like, I, I nailed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and
0: that's why you're into this uh, aerospace thing of perfectly lining yep. up you yep. know, satellites and all that stuff. But you met
1: your wife at USCT. Too, right yeah so i was doing mechanical engineering there which is a total misnomer it was dynamics and control that i was i was focused on It was basically a math mm. uh, math masters uh more or less but um yeah once i finished that i had met kaylin there and uh then we uh, we both got jobs she was she moved to arizona for a job and i was in uh northern not northern california i was in north la basically simi mm. valley um, working at a, a drone manufacturer called Air Environment. That's cool. Yeah, actually, that that job was really cool. But was it like uh, played drones or like Obama n- drones? Unfortunately, oh, it was, oh, it was okay, the Obama yeah. war dogs. Okay. If you've heard <laughs> of the Switchblade program, we we actually oh really they were in the news recently. Yeah, yeah. that
0: is the most terrifying thing yeah. I've ever seen. We sold More a time? bunch to Ukraine. Oh yeah. my gosh, uh, that was really? my platform.
1: Yeah, so I was a control engineer for one of those. Are they using that in the war right now? I think so. Yeah, probably. Jeez.
0: <laughs> that's the scariest thing i I think I've seen a lot of movies, but yeah. that's the scariest thing ever. You I've know, ever played heard. Call of Duty? Yeah. The
1: Hunter Seeker drone. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's basically that. Ooh,
0: wow. So you're you were designing that? Yeah. So gonna, I was a control wow.
1: engineer for that. So I did uh, attitude control systems for wow. f- for those uh, for those drones. So they're yeah. autonomous. Those those are more like what you're talking about, where there's a joystick. though. like gotcha. so it's like human human operated but um yeah. it's like going seeing your barber fly at you at in incredible speed with the razor
0: blades out and like yeah it's scary stuff so you were like i don't want to keep doing that or you want to meet up with kayla i
1: wanted to move away from that space um i wanted to move away from sweeney todd satellite from the murders <laughs> yeah Jeez. but it, you know at the same time it was it was really interesting it work. seems incredibly interesting but like, now yeah. i get to work on commercial satellites that that I, I don't think kill anybody so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Till they fall out of the sky. They and, fall you know? out of the sky. And so is that you and Kaylin? Uh, you were living in Arizona, and then how yeah. did
1: you end up in Virginia? So the, uh, yeah, she was in Arizona. I was in California, and for the longest time, we were trying to get back into the same city. I was applying at Honeywell, where she was Honeywell Aerospace, and she was applying at Air Environment, and oh, you know, and in other places in California, and for. I don't know why but it was just nothing was clicking mm-hmm. and i i even got interviews at honeywell with for jobs that i thought i was very qualified for and it just it just wasn't clicking hmm. and so we were like you know what let's let's try elsewhere it's like uh caitlin was like oh I, i'd always wanted to live on the east coast i raved about virginia because i i loved blacksburg and That's virginia right. tech yeah um and so i was like i i like virginia um let's let's go live there it's pretty central we can you can we can go travel the east coast a bunch and we can explore yeah and uh and so that's eventually we um a a recruiter a friend of ours now this guy martin stangle he he ended up landing us both jobs as a package deal at at this at northrop grumman on uh on a a software engineering team Mm -hmm. Uh, they were building a, a ground uh a ground software for for basically a giant uh software suite for controlling clusters of satellites and and all the everything you need to do for yeah. planning satellite missions. Um, and so, yeah, so he landed us both a job there, and, and we moved across the country in and what, like a couple what year of weeks. Was in, uh 2019. So, oh, it was right before COVID. Right before, like right <laughs> before COVID, yeah. Did you
0: move into Leesburg where you're at now? No,
1: we, we moved into an apartment in Herndon. Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, and then we, uh, we started those jobs. We started writing software, which neither of us had really done professionally before. We both learned Python and like mastered it in wow. that year there. Wow and uh and then yeah so we then we both moved on to other jobs within northrop grumman Mm -hmm. and and got married in August of 2020, right after COVID started <laughs> and, and bought a house in December. And Man, now we're having quickly. a kid. Just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, I had to convince my wife on Virginia
0: too. Like we we had met each other. Well, we're both from central Florida and yeah. then we reconnected in DC and she only lived there less than a year. And I was always like, Virginia's actually great state. Like it's really pretty, the wine country and stuff. She's like, yeah, mate. Then we came up here and stayed with our, our neighbor, Mike, uh, and his wife, Marika. And uh, we had our one-year-old daughter, Violet and we stayed with them for two weeks during covid so literally there's photos of violet playing in the house we're in now we're right next door so it's crazy um so how are you guys feeling about the the coming baby and all that stuff there's
1: no there's no emotion there's no word there's no single word to like describe it's like you're so excited every time i see a little kid and his dad walking around like start crying that i'm just like it's (laughs) just cute i'm just like oh that's gonna be me there was one time i was skiing i saw this like he's probably 10 or 12 and uh he's with his dad and dad was like yeah buddy this is great let's let's go rip another black and he gave his his son a fist pound and i was like that's gonna be me yeah that's awesome yeah
0: well brian thanks for coming on um and good luck with all space lasers we'll do another episode i'd love to talk more about this down. special thanks to the musicians who made the music for this episode this song is called "Sightlines" by jeremy blake and the very first song you heard on the episode was called victim to a victor by rkvc